truly believe in the, the potentiality for goodness within each and every single human being and that our essential nature is to want to live in peace. Meet Dawood Abul Junaid Goss, the Mukarram of the Sufi Centre in Broken Hill. He is today's guest on A Home in the Outback, an independent podcast about people living, working and creating in the far west of New South Wales. I'm your host, Catherine Waite. Dawood was born in Hobart in Tasmania and says he grew up playing sport and attended Taruna High School in the 80s. After he left high school, he worked briefly in childcare, moved to Sydney, worked in hospitality and studied English literature and classics at university. He says he was always searching for the meaning of the human being. After he got married, he moved back to Hobart and through a friend met the spiritual director of the Sufi Centre based in Hobart. Dawood said Sheikh Mushud F.A. al-Sanusi's teaching touched his heart and bypassed his head and at the age of 28, he decided to become a Muslim. In the 2000s, the Sheikh decided to relocate the Sufi Centre to Broken Hill and invited his students to come with him. In 2010, Dawood and his family moved here and with other brothers and sisters helped build the Sufi Centre, which includes the bookshop, prayer room, library, office, and more recently, a bakery. Darwood is a baker and the right-hand man of the Sheikh in Broken Hill. I interviewed Darwood at the end of 2023. Thank you for your time today and helping me understand more about Sufism and the centre here in Broken Hill. But for you, where were you born and what was life like growing up for you? I was born in uh, Hobart in Tasmania and it's normal life, you know, normal Aussie life. Played football in winter, cricket in summer. Did the normal things, went to Taruna High School in the 80s, which is a high school on the beach in Hobart. And after high school, what did you do? Did you go out and work? Yeah, I got a job as a child carer at the University of Tasmania Child Care Centre for two years. And then after that, moved to Sydney, worked uh, in kitchens, really, in, in restaurants. Yeah, so I was about 28. And did you, get, did you go to university? Yeah, I went, in that time I studied uh, English literature and classics at La Trobe University as well, in Bendigo, so studied there. Did you enjoy reading the classics? Uh, yeah, yeah, I really did, yeah. I'd always been searching for something. Always knew that there was uh, something more to life than eating, drinking and procreating. That there was something more inside the human human being yeah so so I was always sort of searching so did a lot of reading on uh, all sorts of traditions from the Jewish tradition Christian tradition uh, you know uh, Wiccan traditions you know older traditions but uh, they all seem to me to be uh, not relevant that's how I felt at the time anyway and you found yourself Moving back to Tasmania? Yeah, well, after I met my wife, Aisha, we moved back to Tasmania. So, yeah. And you became a Muslim. How did that come about? Um, I was studying Aikido, which is a Japanese martial art, and uh, the teacher there was a student of Sheikh Ali, Sanusi, my teacher. And so uh, I thought I'd go and meet, you know, she spoke highly of him. 
So I thought I'd go and meet him. And then when I did meet him, what he was spe speaking about uh, hit a chord with my heart. And I thought, no, this is the truth. This is what I've been looking for. Uh, so I became a Muslim. No, I knew nothing about Islam, hadn't read the Quran before or anything like that. So it just touched my heart, bypassed the head and went straight to the heart. So, and Sufism is the heart teaching of Islam. So Islam is the foundation that all Sufi practitioners, they stand on. So they do all the Islamic practices, but it's really, it's a teaching of the heart and spiritual development. Hmm. So you were introduced to Sufism as well? Yeah, yes. Who was your teacher in those years of becoming a Muslim? Yeah, my, there's only one teacher. Yes, yes. Uh, Murshid F.A. Ali Sanusi. He lives here in Broken Hill. Can you tell me a little bit more about him? Uh, he's a Muslim Sufi sheikh from North Africa. He's been in Australia since the early 1970s. So, uh, uh, you know, he's been, I was born in 1972, so he's been in Australia longer than I've been alive. Yeah, so uh, he's done an amazing amount of work with bringing the teaching of the Holy Prophet Muhammad into the lives of thousands of people in this country. And uh, he, he, his teaching is making people aware of uh, the beautiful and, and mercy and love teaching of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. Mm. What brought him to Australia? Uh, that would have to be a question for him, I think, yes. So how did he guide you in those, those early years of your learning? Initially, is to because I didn't know anything, I became a Muslim in the middle of Ramadan. And uh, he said to me, it's OK, you don't have to, you know, Slowly, slowly, because you have to uh, transform your, your entire life. Um, for example, Muslims don't drink alcohol, so it's leaving the alcohol. Not that I was a big drinker as well, but a normal Australian person, you know, that might have, you know, a couple of beers at the end of the day or something like that. So that wasn't too hard to, to, to do, uh, to stop that sort of behaviour. But... Um, it was then just a, the really hard thing, I suppose, for me was the changing the way that I thought about the universe and, and things. Um, I was 28, so at 28 you think you know a few things, but you don't really. So, um, no, it was a total change of world view, you could say. And I imagine a lot of, a lot of reading and... and Understanding goes in with that, doesn't that's, it? That's the interesting thing for people who uh, accept Islam as opposed to people that are born in Islam. Because people that are born in Islam, they, the prayer, the fasting and all this sort of stuff is part of their practice. But for us that come to Islam later, we have to study quite hard because we don't know anything. So it's almost like um, you have to knock the house down, build a whole new foundation and build the house from the ground up. So the first few years, there's a lot of work internally that has, to, that has to happen. You're not used to fasting. You're not used to praying five times a day, um, all that sort of stuff. But a lot of the other stuff is a universal 
for example, showing mercy towards people, showing mercy to yourself, showing mercy and kindness to the creation, meaning animals, the environment, um, uh, all the good moral qualities that you try to uh, put in your life. So you get rid of all the bad stuff, you know, don't lie, uh, always tell the truth, uh, which initially you, uh, you have an understanding of how many little lies you might tell to yourself, to others. You have to cut all of that sort of stuff out of your life. And it's uh, very liberating, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Sometimes I guess having boundaries or restrictions can be freeing in a way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, they're very easy boundaries. It's uh, the natural disposition of the human being is you know, to be kind to one another, to be gentle, to be, as we spoke on the phone before, our purpose in life is to be the vice-regent of God, meaning to look after things, ourselves, the environment, and all of that sort of stuff. So, so how did the Sheikh and how did you come to be in Broken Hill and a Sufi centre here? Um, uh, essentially, essentially, that's also a, qu a question for him. But what, from my knowledge, um, one, there is a rich Islamic history in Broken Hill. And not every person in Broken Hill is really aware of that either. And the Afghan Kamaliyas were Sufi people as well. And uh, Broken Hill is sort of s central. Uh, for people traveling to the west and all this sort of stuff so and also it's a really nice place to an affordable place uh, to live to raise a family it's quieter uh, and uh, and the sheikh had a connection here by being here in the in the 90s as well traveling through you know but he was also here in this in the 80s when he, he moved from sydney to perth so he's uh, always had a bit of a connection with the afghan an Islamic history in Australia. It's almost like a hidden history, but it's sort of coming out now. Yeah, so, um, so, but essentially the Sheikh said, we're moving there, so anybody who wants to come, come. So we're like, I went home, told Aisha, we're moving. She said, okay, let's go. And what were you doing work-wise at that point? I was a baker, yeah, working at Artisan Bakery in North Hobart. Did you enjoy baking? Yeah, yeah, baking's good fun. The thing I like about baking is that you complete the work in that day. So you do complete a production and that's, it's finished, it's done. And that feeds people and then you come next day and you start again. So there's no, uh, it's, there's continuity in that. And I understand the Sheikh encouraged you to, to be a baker. Yes, that's right. Um, I was uh, teaching Aikido, the, the martial arts, and assisting the sensei in Hobart with teaching school kids and stuff like that. I've been doing that for years. So I wanted a job where I, my days were free so that I can continue doing that. And I'd worked in kitchens as a cook and restaurants all my life, really. And so I just, you know, the shaky suggested that baking would be good because it's night work. So I uh, said that, and next day I got a job. I did an apprenticeship in 2008. Mm. 
So when did the Sheikh and your family move here to Broken Hill? I moved in 2010 and the Sheikh moved here in 2012. And what was the plan? Uh, the first step was to open the Sufi Books of Broken Hill. So that was the first thing that we worked on. Uh, then uh, we built the kitchen area, the entrance area where we're sitting here, and the downstairs area, which is the Sheikh's library, uh, the library, the Sheikh's office, and the prayer area. And then after that was the bakery. So it was always step by step. But because everything you see here is people have uh, built and uh, brothers and sisters, Sufi brothers and sisters have uh, contributed financially and through their efforts to build everything that you see here. And we had a, you gave me a bit of a tour before, yes. which I'm very grateful for. For um, Was it difficult work to build the centre and... No, it was wonderful work, you know, because you have a purpose. So it's just really wonderful. Uh, People come from all over the country to come and help. You know, they come for a, a few weeks to work and to, and to contribute. So the Sheikh has many students all around the country and around the world. So, How long did it take, do you know? We're still going, really. <laughs> We're still working, but uh, it's slowed down now because we've done so much, really. Yeah. So, and after that, as I mentioned to you before, after that hailstorm we had in 2016, uh, that's when we, we knew that we had to replace the roof and, all, and once the roof was replaced then we knew that we could go ahead with the bakery. So we were sitting here one day in 2018, myself, same, him you know, and the Sheikh, and the Sheikh just said to us, it's about time we got the bakery going, don't you think? And we said, okay. So within six months it was up and running. So it started in 2019, the bakery? Yeah, that's right. What did you start off with in terms of um, products and things? Very similar sort of style of products. We did try some more fancy breads, you know, like uh, seaweed sourdough and, uh, you know, orange and chocolate sourdough, all this sort of stuff. But uh, uh, we soon realised that people wanted good, solid products and they wanted basic stuff as well, you know, not too fancy. So we're not in... You've been to, you've been to Hobart, have you? Have you been to Salamanca Market? Okay, so we're not in Salamanca Market, okay? Well, I have a friend who is uh, a sourdough baker as well, and he makes very fancy. He, do, he works uh, one day a week, he does the market, and does about three or 400 loaves of bread. Really fancy stuff, and they sell out so quickly. We're not there, we're here. So, uh, but we still do good quality uh, sourdough products that are chemical free. And that's really important to Sufism too. Can you talk to me about why, um, yeah, that's important? Well, there's a verse in the Quran where God, he says, uh, eat of the good things. So meaning eating good and pure things. So don't, uh, don't overextend yourself, don't unbalance yourself. And uh, I think if you go to the supermarket, it's very difficult to buy something that's not full of chemicals or sugars or even the fruit and vegetables we buy these days. Do we trust them? It's hard, really, isn't it? It is hard with a lot of things, though, isn't it? And, and particularly in a place like Broken Hill where there is a lack of options. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the bakery here provides a great option for healthy yeah. food. Yeah, if we have, we'll, we'll, for healthy bread, like we said to you before, 
Uh, people who are a little bit intolerant to bread have found that they can eat our bread, mainly because it's chemical free. So um, a lot of the breads you buy in supermarkets and other bakeries, uh, they might be intolerant to it because of the chemicals in the flour, the chemicals in the pesticides in the, in the wheat. So we use whole grain milling, so it's 100% sustainable flours. So no chemicals in the, in, in the soil or in the flour. So it makes a big difference. Mm. And how much bread are you making a week or a day? Like We make about 300 loaves of bread a week and probably uh, about 500 pastries and about, uh, about 90 to 100 pies as well. Yeah, which uh, we make all the fillings for our, the pies ourselves. Slow cooked, 24, uh, 24 hour slow cooked beef, that sort of stuff. Which we get locally as well from the butcher up there. So, mm. um, What about the peak times in Broken Hill, such as the Monday Monday Bash? Do you yeah, have we, to? We have to up it a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah we do. But uh, everything's handmade as well, so we don't use big equipment just to throw stuff out. So there's a limit on how much we can make. But we do our best, that's for sure, yeah. What's been the community's response? Well, really good, I think, yeah. Uh, we have a good loyal customer base. Um, we'd like to have more local people coming. It would be nice, but I know people, uh, they like what they like. So, uh, so we do rely on tourists a lot. So like at the moment, there's not many tourists around, so it's a little bit slower. So we hope that... Uh, our slower periods are not as slow as they used to be because of our local local customers. What is your role at the centre here, other than baker, head baker? Is that? <laughs> yes, I suppose you could say that, yes. Mukaddam, um, the title means the one brought forward. It means that I'm invested with the authority of the Sheikh. So I'm a student of his like everybody else, like everybody else. But when he's not here physically, then I assume the role of leading the prayers, uh, giving the spiritual talks, uh, assisting the brothers and sisters and that sort of stuff. So you could say the Sheikh's right hand. Mm. But I'm still, I'm his student. He's the teacher and I'm the student, yes. Is that, how long have you had that role for? Since 2015. But before that, I had another role, which is called Wasi, which means spiritual caretaker. So it was a similar sort of a role. But, uh, and uh, when we first moved here, I had another role. <laughs> it was called Wakil, meaning trustee. So before the Sheikh moved here, so I was the trustee to uh, look after things, uh, you know, while he was still in the transition from Hobart to here. So it took a few years to move the bookshop, uh, to prepare things here for people to sell their homes, you know, travel. We bought a truck as well, so we, instead of just getting removalists, if people wanted to move, they pay for the petrol and the transport of the truck and we, we moved families, which is a lot of fun. Were there many people who came from uh, Hobart? Uh, most of the people that were in Tasmania did come. There's still some of the students are still living down there and uh, there is a Mokadam, somebody like a similar role down there. So that uh, helps the, the Sheikh students down there and he, he visits them regularly as well. Same with in Perth, Indonesia, as we mentioned, America, Canada, Mauritania, uh, Africa, 
Afghanistan, all over the world really. Yeah, students. How many um, followers are here um, in Broken Hill? Um, I suppose you know, I haven't really counted them all up before, but you know, probably about uh, twenty. Yeah, direct students. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of um, people who attend prayers on Fridays, how many would you have? Um, uh, last week we had probably about 40 and the week before about 70, I would say. Yeah, so all the uh, Muslim doctors and pharmacists and stuff like that in town, they all come on Fridays as well. So um, the centre, it's not a mosque, it's a Sufi centre, but it performs the same function as a mosque as well. A mosque is generally, it's open, the doors are, it's open all the time to the, all the community, where we're, our doors are not open all the time. Yeah, you have to ring the doorbell. <laughs> What's been the interest of the community in the centre? Have you found some interest in the centre? Uh, yes, so a few people have accepted Islam. Um, we've had some contact with the... Um, uh, many local people coming to the bookshop or asking about the teaching and things like that. It's been, it's been good. It's a nice community here in Broken Hill. Of course, you're always going to get, in any community, you get people who you know, don't like you, but that's okay. And I understand you've had school groups come and visit the centre yes. and... Um... Primary school kids, uh, high school kids, and also uh, doctors and nurses learning how to uh, treat Muslim patients, particularly elderly Muslim ladies and how and their specific needs. Also elderly Muslim men as well, they have specific needs but they're not probably as uh, as the Muslim ladies. Yeah. They generally the Muslim ladies like to be looked after by other ladies, but it's not always possible in as the situation that we're we're living now. But uh, a person's medical health always takes precedence. You know, if somebody needs resuscitating, you don't worry about that it's a Muslim lady and the man needs to resuscitate her. You resuscitate the lady, you know, of course. So, uh, yeah. How have you found living in Broken Hill? I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's just quiet, it's nice. Also, in if we were in Sydney, for example, we'd have a lot of Muslims coming uh, I don't even know I'd have time to be a baker. Uh, I'd, all my time would be talking to about... But here it's... They come specific times and we talk about the teaching. So as we said, um, the purpose of the teaching, or the purpose of the centre, is one to uh, create harmony and unity between our community and other communities, and also to uh, uh, to show people the beautiful aspect of the teaching of the science, as we mentioned to you before, the science of prophethood. So that's what Sufism is, the science of prophethood. So we, we like to behave like our prophet as best we can. What does that look like? That looks like a, one is to spiritualise all of your activities. All of your activities are spiritualised from your prayer, you know, which are obvious spiritual activities like prayer or fasting and stuff like that. But it's also even just walking or talking or uh, uh, washing, cooking, clean, all the more mundane activities are also spiritualized. 
so that your whole entire life becomes a spiritual endeavor uh, with balance. As Muslims, and particularly Sufism, um, is what you say, what do you think you should say, and what you say you should do, and what you do should bring harmony to you and to those around you. Because the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that actions are based on intentions. And so as to have a pure intention, we make mistakes. That's the condition of humanity, really. But the Holy Prophet also said that the believer, his intention is better than his actions. Yeah? So have a work on a good, pure intention, and then you act. Uh, sometimes we, things don't work out the way we want them to, but the pure intention is very, very important. So you have balance in your life. So what's inside is, you know, belief is in the heart and your actions reflect that belief. So that's what we try to do. How do you best explain how Sufism is a part of um, Islam, but, but different or what, how do you explain it? If you look, if you think of Islam as a human body, uh, Sufism is the heart, so it can't be separated, so that's, that's what it is, yeah. So uh, another example could be, I think of a university, and that university has different schools, psychology, medicine, law, this, all, the, all the other schools, and they're all the, uh, the aspects of Islam, like Islamic law, uh, law on divorce, law on this, law on that. And at the centre, the centre facility is Sufism, which is the heart teaching. So it's about the heart, yes, but it's also, it entails all the outward activities as well. Because you can't have one without the other, they go, yeah. So. What's your view of um, spirituality in Australia more generally? Are people spiritually hungry? They're spiritually anorexic. That's what they are. Mm. They're completely anorexic. Not getting any spiritual? No. No. It's very, very sad. So that's, uh, that's a problem, you know? Uh, people either completely deny the spiritual aspect of their life or deny, you know. One way of thinking about it is when you dream, you go somewhere else, yeah? We all know it. We go somewhere else and we come back. Where do we go? There is a spiritual aspect to the, to the human being. Uh, they have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And the soul is connected to the, to the body. And, uh, but the spirit is, is something much more special. But unfortunately, the Australian community is in a state of spiritual anorexia, as we said. But it's available to people, and I think people are, they are very hungry for the spiritual teaching. But it requires elbow grease. Mm. It's very well known fact that if, if I decided I wanted to be a surgeon, I can't just go and read a book on surgery and then say, okay, OK, 
come, let's do it. You got appendicitis, I'll take your appendix out. I do. Would you let me do that? No. You wouldn't let me do that, would you? <laughs> no. No. So I have to go to school, I have to study, and I have to do my internship, I have to study under, under a teacher, I have to do everything that's necessary for me to be able to be a surgeon. When it comes to the spiritual teaching though, people just think that uh, they can just make it up and I'm spiritual, I can do this. It doesn't work like that. It works exactly the same as it does in the outer form. You need to study, you need to do the work, and you need a teacher to show you. And that's uh, where people are falling down. They're not willing to uh, put themselves under the teacher and, and learn about these things. But I think things are changing. You mentioned earlier in our conversation um, about future plans for the centre. Are you able to elaborate on what that is? I think it's continue with the goals of the centre, which is to show, uh, you know, to try to bring peace and harmony between communities and also to provide a place where people can come and learn about Islam and learn about Sufism and help the community, those that want to uh, take it on as a practice, to help them to practice in the best way that they can. So uh, the goals of the centre was, is, you know, pretty well say, stay the same. And that's also to show people the, the beauty of this teaching and the beauty of all the other teachings as well and how much we have in common as human beings, not how much separates us. Uh, so much we are concerned with what our differences. Our differences are very, very minor. And what is brings us close together, and there's a lot that brings us close together as human beings. Because the, the centre is for human development to being. So everybody is a human, human animal. You just eat, you drink, you work, you watch the footy, you go to bed, you get up, you rinse and repeat. But a human being is something completely different. They contemplate the signs in the heavens and the earth. Uh, where, why are we here? Where are we going? What's our purpose? This is a human being, somebody that's concerned with these, these things. Because the similitude of the human being is like, a, like a one body. Yeah, after we see what's happening in the world at the moment, uh, if any part of our body is in pain, the whole body feels it. You know, you've got a toothache. How miserable are we when we get a toothache? You know, everybody knows nothing worse than a toothache. This is like humanity. We have these aches and pains, which is people suffering all around the world. And uh, we can't keep our heads in the sand. We do that and it's horrible. And obviously at the moment we're seeing awful things happening in the Middle East. Um, and you must hear of some of those things yourself and mm. with, with friends and family. Can you believe that there's 4,000 missing children underneath rubble at the moment as we speak? Dead and dying. And we stand back and just say it's okay. It's a horrible thing. But uh, I think our leaders are showing their true colours. Huh? All the leaders around the world.
this is what they've been doing for a long time. It's happened in this country as well. I think we mentioned before. And for the very interesting, we had some friends when we recently had the yes and no vote. And uh, some of our indigenous friends were not surprised at all. The level of racism that they're subjected to on a daily basis, uh, what has happened to them and their country, uh, we have very short memories. Mm. And that's what's happening in the Middle East right as we speak today. So it's very, very sad. But the only way for humanity is, in, is to connect all of us together. We still have hope. Yeah, what, what gives you hope? I think that um, <laughs> it's hard to see it sometimes when you see what's going on around the world. I, I, I admit that. But I truly believe in the, the potentiality for goodness within each and every single human being. And that our essential nature is to want to live in peace. Now, if each and every one of us can actually tap into that resource, then just maybe, maybe we can learn to live together in peace with our differences. We're allowed to be different. You know, that's, that's okay. Religi religiously, culturally, spiritually, psychologically, we're allowed to be a little bit different. But tolerance is something that we should embrace. Mm. I'm interested about the comment that you said about most people, our innate nature is to be good. How do you explain evil or the, the, the atrocities that are happening mm. in the world if most of us are good? Yes, we can't really explain it. It's happening though, isn't it? Mm. Can you say that somebody who presses a button and demolishes a building with a thousand people in it, men, women, children, are they good, are they evil? What are they? I really don't know. It's, it's unfathomable. At least 500 years ago, if you wanted to kill somebody, you had to look him in the eye and get your hands dirty <laughs> and they might fight back. But uh, these days, well, it's just atrocious. There are certainly, uh, it feels that there are certainly people that don't have no care for human life. All they care about is what they can get for themselves. And unfortunately, that's the state of uh, the leaders of the countries all around the world. I think probably the last decent leader that we ever saw was probably Nelson Mandela. But I can't think of anybody else since then. Mm. I think that's all I wanted to ask you today, David. But was there anything else that you wanted to add that I haven't asked you? Um, no, not really. Um, thank you for coming. It's good to have people interested in the teaching so, and interested in what we're doing. Because a lot of the work that the Sufi Centre does because of our global um, uh, village and these days, uh, uh, a lot of the talks and work that we do uh, is done all around the world. For example, over four and a half million people have uh, 
you know, listen to the Sheikh's talks online and all this sort of stuff. So, Wow, that's a lot of people. Yeah, so you have uh, uh, visited the website, uh, read the articles, all that sort of stuff. So uh, even though it's quiet here, it's not so quiet really. There's a lot going on. Uh, we just really hope that uh, humanity can find its way out of this mess that it seems to have got itself into before it really escalates, because that would be a really shame. One of the things that I find living in a place like Broken Hill is that you can kind of become a bit parochial and just concentrate on our town <laughs> and forget the things that are happening out outside of our town is very, and it's a strength of the community to kind of care and look after each other. Yeah. But sometimes I wonder if we forget the broader things that are happening in the world. I think so. I mean, Broken Hill's really nice like that. And, uh, you know, you still see kids playing in the streets. And one, one of my naughty children, a few years ago, she walked out of the classroom at Broken Hill Primary School and just started walking home to the south. But of course, people saw her and they call up the school and they will <laughs> call up my wife. You know, so there's that aspect. So we knew what she was doing. Um, so that's, that's a beautiful aspect of, of the town. It's a really nice town with really good people. But there was, is also that aspect of not having a universal outlook to what's going on in the world. Because regardless of what we may think, there's a lot happening out there that can affect us. I said to somebody, because I do some, well I said to one of the community, they were talking about the yes no vote in relation to uh, indigenous communities. And they wanted to vote no because they had uh, a reason, the reason they had was the exact reason of the propaganda. So I said to them, oh well, you know, maybe in 150 years we'll be asking the Chinese government for a right to vote in parliament. Who knows? You don't know, do you? So things rotate. Uh, empires come and go. Uh, we have, it's only, it's a natural human condition. We think things aren't going to change. They do change. And they can change very, very quickly. Uh, we have, because we have some Uyghur friends, you know, Muslims who live in China, who are going through a very difficult time. And one of, uh, one of the people he said to me, he knew a Chinese general. He said, uh, Australia, there's no one there. And I said, ah, terra nullis. That's what the British said. There's no one there. <laughs> Things can change very quickly. And, uh, but we hope and we pray that things change for the better. Because there's enough room on planet Earth. There's enough resources on planet Earth. There's all of this sort of stuff. We have the technology to fix the environment. We have the wealth to fix the environment. If we stop spending so much on military stuff and f focus that finance into the environment and communities and food and, you know, looking after the earth, it could be heaven on earth.
really could be. So we hope that if humanity starts to wake up and uh, you asked me before about hope, the hope is in the children. Children are different today. They are aware, much more aware of the environment. They're much more tolerant than we were. Uh, race is not really an issue for our kids these days. They're just, you know, so I've noticed that about children. So there's a lot of hope that the children will uh, bring in a better world for us, God willing. Well, Darwin, thank you so much for your time and um, your hospitality and to helping myself and others listening to this podcast learn more about the Sufi Centre here in Broken Hill. Yes, the doors is always open to all of the community. So anybody, in, when I say all the community, I mean the entire world. All you need to do is knock on the door and the door is open. It's a door of hope and it's a, it's a door of love and mercy and compassion. And it's also a place of learning, so anybody is welcome anytime. That was Dawood Abu Junaid Goss, the Mukarram of the Sufi Centre in Broken Hill. You've been listening to A Home in the Outback, an independent podcast about people living, working and creating in the far west of New South Wales.